I uh, read many years ago, and I was going to try to look for it this past week. I felt um, <clears throat> to begin talking about a subject, and um, uh, you know, it's the woman's prerogative to do what? Change your mind. And uh, <clears throat> you know, ladies can always change their minds, always their prerogative, they say. It's their birthright. If you're born a woman, you have the right to change your mind. And of course, uh, I guess we all can change our mind. And yet I, uh, you know, remember reading many years ago a book by Joyce Myers talked about battlefield of the mind because the mind was the key. Our mind is a key, is an important key to how we successfully, we can live for God, how successfully we are able to navigate uh, this world that we are living in and what's going on around us. It is, in fact, the key to how we feel. It's the key sometimes to what, how, what we are thinking is the key to how, uh, how much strength we have and how much um, we can feel fatigued and all of those things because, you know, uh, <clears throat> I have heard, I have not experienced it firsthand, but that if you are going to run a marathon, one of the things that you have to control is your thoughts because if you reach a point in the race where your body says it's time to stop and your mind has got to be strong enough to say, nope, just I'm going to start focusing on counting. And I count one, two, three. And I've got a hundred steps to go for this mile. And I count and I refocus my mind. And uh, you will read where folks will talk about that key element of what gave them the strength, whether it was uh, in, a, in an amazing, uh, overwhelming situation or, or whatever it was, that um, it was being able to gird up the loins as the Bible talks about of their mind. And so we know, and the Bible is full of verses and uh, I, I just, I, I want to talk about perception, and so I didn't want to get bogged down in some of these verses, but all of these verses actually uh, are, are, you could preach or teach for weeks or hours and ask questions about. For instance, Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, where Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beg you. I mean, here Paul was saying, I am beseeching, I am begging you by the mercy of God that you present your, what? Bodies, a living sacrifice. Now that's not easy to present your body a living sacrifice. And he goes into what that means. Holy and acceptable unto God. And he calls it your reasonable service. Then he said something amazing. He focuses on that key, the mind. And he says, and be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in this hour, wanting to do what is right, wanting to follow the will of God, it is important that you focus, take heed to that key, that your mind. And, and I, I remember when I was an undergraduate many, many years ago, and we replicated the experiment, we did it, and we got about, I think it was about 82%. This was college kids, but they, I think we got 82 when we replicated it, but you get a group of kids in, and you say to them, uh, okay, today we're going to uh, uh, look uh, on the slides and we're going to say uh, which slide, uh, which letter, A, B, or C, is the longest line, okay? Is it A, is it B, is it C? And, and Pretty straightforward, pretty simple experiment, right? But as psychologists go, <clears throat> they're always tricky. And so what you have already done is you've got everybody in the group but one. You leave one that's not there. But you've told everybody in the group, you pick the second longest line. That way we'll see what happens to the one individual. And you get 10, 12 kids in there, young folks, and you go, okay, is it A, is it B, is it C? Now maybe C is the longest, and it looks the longest, and A is the second longest, and B, and so and then you, you ask them, you say, okay, how many believe A is the longest? And everybody raises their hand, but poor brother Todd. We, we, we've all tricked him. And according to the statistics, he's going to look around and he's going to think, maybe I didn't hear the instructions right. Uh, okay, yeah, okay, A. Because we've all raised our hand. So then you say again, all right now, which line is the longest? And then, boom, everybody's hand goes up on A. And do you know that over 75% of the time, on that second time after repeating the instruction, he'll go, maybe I'm not seeing it right. Okay, A. That's just in our nature. We call it peer pressure. We call it, you know, going with the crowd, doing what everybody else is doing. Everybody else said it. Everybody else, you know what I'm talking about? And so this whole sense of, you know, we know that that happens and it's not uncommon. So, you know, the Bible though, as I said, talks about our mind. And you can read it in Philippians, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Colossians, where it says in you that were sometimes alienated and enemies where? In your mind, <clears throat> by wicked works. Now, yet now hath he reconciled. So when, you, when people start doing things, what is it that it impacts? 
They're mine. Because I'm going to justify it. And this is why, you know, we, we, were, we see whether it's the trial that happened this week or whatever, you know, it's like I, I, I have no doubt that everybody involved felt that they were doing what they should do. They're mine. And so it doesn't matter. You say, well, I, you know, I justify it. Well, you ought to know. People should know. They knew I didn't mean. They, this one, that, I, my mind is quick to be able to justify, to be able to rationalize. And Hebrews, the 12th chapter, for consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself. Have you ever dealt with difficult people? Have you ever had neighbors? And Steve and I were talking about his neighbors. And the other day when we were visiting kind of for Bible study, have you ever had that happen? Sure. And what, do you, what, what happens? I, I, all of a sudden, I, man, feels controversial and this happens. And you know what it wearies you? You know where you get wearied? In your mind. Lest you be, he said, so what must you do? You have to quit thinking about your conflict, the contradiction of sinners, and start thinking about consider him who suffered because when I'm going through it, who do I think about? I just think about myself and what I'm putting up with, what I'm going through, and where I am. And that's why, you know, we, this, I think, is so important. And we have cards back there with the blessing. And I do believe that's a tip of a spear that we are going to have to take one of those and have one and say, I want to give you a blessing. That's important in this hour. Why? Because this world, you know what? It will wear you out. Have you ever felt like, oh, I'm just, oh God, right here, being bombarded. That's the key. And I know, I, I'm looking at Brother Bill, Brother Tim, Brother Tracy, others that you go, Sister Joanne Sparrow, others that you go and you feel like, man, I'm getting better and then something else happens and the doctor comes in and something else. And you know where it begins to attack you? And you get weary here. And when you do, your whole body Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so this mind is, you know, a very key. And, and in Ephesians it said, be renewed, how? In the spirit of your mind. And so this is why. And I know it's Wednesday night and we're here and I get it. You're here on a Wednesday night. Not everybody comes on midweek. But... That's why it becomes so vital for us to plug in. 
when we come in, get prayed for, worship, raise my hands, let the Spirit begin to flow through me. Why? Because it's washing and cleansing my mind. It is changing my thoughts. It's I'm being renewed in the spirit of my mind because I, my mind can get overwhelmed. And when my mind is overwhelmed, I'm, I'm weak. Simon Peter wrote this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds. I have written this letter to stir up your mind with remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He said, I'm writing this, I am, I've written these words to stir up your mind. And that's what Bible study is about, and I realize that. And, and coming in, studying the Word, we hyphen, we do Bible study, we do on Monday, we have, we'll have a Bible study with you. What is it to do? It's to try to stir up my mind, to get my mind refocused. Paul wrote in Corinthians, he said, but I fear lest by any means the very fact that the serpent could beguile Eve through his subtlety, so that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So it's possible, folks. He wrote that to the second epistle to the Corinthians. And so we're not exempt from getting our minds off track. And that's what tonight I, I know you all understand this, and I realize that you understand the importance of the mind, and I realize Probably all of those that are logged on understand the mind, but I'm going to talk about perception for a little bit, but I really wanted just to show you, and he goes on a couple chapters later in Corinthians, and he says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, but be of what? One mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. As I said, our mind is a battlefield, and it's hard to keep, you know, the same mind. And it's even harder sometimes to change my mind because I've, I've grown up with messages. I've lived with words. I've developed feelings. I have baggage. I have what I always thought, what I've always felt, what I've always believed. And I put here, you have enemies, the devil, and everybody knows the devil, and if the devil could corrupt Eve's mind, you have the influence of the world, and then the influence of the flesh. All those influences are, bad, are targeting us to try to change our mind, to try to rob us from our joy, to try to rob us from our destiny, our purpose. And I realize that in a world, in a society that we live in, there are certain perceptions that are ingrained in society. And I, I know, they, uh, unfortunately, I 
read the statistics like probably all of you did and have heard where fewer and fewer people are going to church of any kind, fewer and fewer are, are, are making, you know, or reading the Bible consistently, fewer and fewer are doing all of this and the numbers are dropping and plummeting. And I'm going to tell you what it, those kinds of things do is they let you know that the enemy is going to be able to trick individuals because their mind has not been able to refocus on God, the Word of God, and they have something that will challenge their mind. And if you don't actively do that, your mind will... Everybody else is raising their hand. Huh? There's a strong possibility Well, everybody else thinks that's the way it should be, huh? Oh, well, can you trust your own eyes and ears, huh? In fact, what they tell you in, in legal terms, of course, now we've got videos, so I guess it's better, but they used to say that the very worst witness at a courtroom, you know who it was? The eyewitness. Because the way a person worded the question, now are you saying, are you, huh? And all of a sudden, well, I, I may not have even been there that day. By the time the attorney gets through with you, have I even been born yet? Huh? If they're good enough, you know, they get you on a stand and before long you're like, uh, man, no, I, I don't remember, you know. And, you know, I grew up and... Uh, <clears throat> got to see Matlock and he was always able to challenge those witnesses right there on the stand. Huh? Of course, Matlock was always trying to find the truth, I guess. You know, Andy Griffin, whatever his name was. But the point of it is they can also sway you the other way. And so, you know, here it is. Now, I know you have voices, and, and I'm not, uh, I, you know, he's gone, but Stephen Hawking, how many remember Stephen Hawking? A few of you. And he wrote a book called A Brief History of Time. And, you know, a lot of people used to like to say, look at Stephen Hawking, because Stephen Hawking was, of course, unfortunately in a wheelchair, and he was very handicapped, but had a brilliant mind, and uh, he was, uh, yet he did his best to say there was no God, and he was going to prove it. It's all a series of equations. It's all relative. It's all math. It's all science. That was his mantra. And if you've ever read Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time, 
As you get to the end, you got to read through all of that junk to reach some of the last pages. And he writes things like this in here. It's just a set of rules and equations. There, it, there is no creator. There is no divine force. It's just a set of rules and equations. But then he contradicts himself. Same page, just a little later on. But we can't construct a mathematical model that answers the question of why should there be a universe? Or why the universe goes to the bother of existing? He said, it's here, but we don't know why it's here. It's here, but we don't know why it continues to exist. Well, guess what? Solomon had already figured that out. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. The wisest man. Unfortunately, he beat Stephen Hawking. He said, I've considered money. I've considered stuff. I've considered fun, parties. I've considered education. I... And you remember the phrase that he used? Everything under the sun is worthless. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? And you say, without God, guess what the meaning is? It's under the sun. And what was his last few lines? Here's the whole duty of a man. Fear God. Go above the sun and keep his commandments. Everything else is vanity. So one of the things that we have to understand, and that is perspective in this world, because we're living in a world that lives for today, you know, live for today. And unfortunately, that perspective is what will plague your mind and it will weary you in your mind. If you are only looking at what you're going through today, you're going to get frustrated. If you're only looking at what you feel today, what you're going through today, what the news report was today, you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Paul told Titus, look at it very carefully. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching, notice that word teaching. Everybody say teaching. Teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly, where, when? Right now, in this present world. He goes on to say, but our perspective should be what? Looking forward for that blessed hope. Everybody say looking. Looking, looking forward 
to that blessed hope. I don't have anything to look forward to. I, my life is hopeless. My life is ruined. My life is, one day I'm going to walk down a street of gold. One day my body's going to be changed. I'm full of pain now, but one day, let me just tell you, one day I'm going to outrace you to the throne. I can't do anything but live now, but I'm looking forward to that blessed hope and the appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he said, who gave? Now, which way is that looking? Huh? Backwards. I remember what the Lord did for me. He gave himself for us that he might redeem. I remember Calvary. I remember the Easter story. I remember what God has done. But I'm going through it today. I'm overwhelmed today. This is what's happening. You got to You understand? I'll never forget many, many years ago. <clears throat> my wife, my mother had done this as well, but they would take a tour of high school students to Europe and to different places. And we were, I, I forgot, Switzerland or something. I think it was Switzerland. And we, I went with my wife and we had all these students before we had children even. Had all these kids and tour bus. And there was a little girl by the name of Maudie. She wasn't from our school, but you know, how many ever students you have from Lone Oak went with so many students from Little Rock and so many from you know other schools around the state and country, and little Maudie. And Maudie, bless her heart. We took this bus. We drove all the way up the mountain. I forgot what mountain it was. Pilatus. I don't know what mountain it was. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Just ask her about Maudie. But <clears throat> we rode the bus up to the top and then, or maybe it was a train, and then what was supposed to happen is we were supposed to take a gondola going down. And the bus would then go around and pick us up on the other side. And you know, you're looking at the Swiss Alps or Austrian Alps or whatever it was. Beautiful scenery. And it was a gondola and it would swing like this back and forth. And I was, they put me in, it was just four seats, but there was only three of us, Maudie, me, my wife, I was sitting on this side, Maudie and my wife were sitting on that side. I was sitting going backwards, and I don't like to ride backwards anyway. And it's swinging, and I'm, I'm, whoa. I think maybe her brother-in-law, maybe John was there, but I don't remember. And he was getting sick, oh, and I was like, hearing him get sick, and I'm sitting backwards. <laughs> Maudie sat there, her hands gripped tightly on the seat, like this, the whole time. 
My wife, I know y'all won't believe this, gave a running commentary of the beauty <laughs> that was going on behind me. And she would say, Maudie, look up. That's all right. <laughs> Maudie, are you scared? I'm scared of everything. <laughs> Maudie, look, look out there. You can see Lucerne or whatever. That's okay. <laughs> she was so focused on the present. <laughs> And I was getting tickled because here I am getting sick and the one next to me is getting sick and I'm going backwards and we're having a commentary and poor old Maudie, I don't even remember where Maudie was from, has got her head between her knees almost looking at her toes. If you were to say, Maudie, write what you saw, it would be 10 little toes. That's all she saw. Never one time looked up. What are you saying? What Paul told Titus is you have to focus off of just this present. Look for the blessed hope. Remember what God has already done that he might redeem us from all iniquity and pure. This is why he did this. He went to Calvary to redeem us to purify us. That's why Paul could say, live godly in this world. Why? I couldn't do that if he hadn't gone to Calvary. Oh, you say, well, oh, I, I, he says, deny worldly lust. You can't do that unless you remember what he did for you on Calvary. But the, but the fact that when people say, don't deny yourself anything. It is then totally focused on the present. It's not going to make any difference. That he might purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. If you read it in the message, it is, we're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting when? Right now. I, you know, one of these days I'm going to do good. I understand. One of these days I'm going to run a marathon. Guess what? For the Lord, you can start living for God right now. You don't have to wait. And you say, how do I do that? He said, while, right now, and then the rest of that goes and is wetting our appetites. Why? Because right now as we try to struggle and you say, I'm struggling, and it, but as we try to say, Lord, I want to do right. I want to come into your presence. I'm trying to do my best. I want to feel your presence. I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to feel the touch of the Holy Ghost. That is wetting my appetite for one of these days. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to run down a street of gold. Huh? Looking for that. Remembering who gave himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, 
pure life, making us a people he can be proud of and energetic in goodness. Wow, that's in the message. And I had you read these words, teaching us. Unfortunately, guess what? You have to be taught how to live a godly life. It doesn't come natural. And when somebody says, well, just do whatever you feel is what it means to be godly. No, that's why we have the word of God. It's not about all whatever I feel. Amen. I don't live how I feel. I live according to the word of God. Why? Because I am, I want that life. I have to be taught. You say, well, I don't, I don't know. And, you know, I don't mind. You can ask me. I'll teach you a Bible study. Like I said, we try to, we're working teaching these younger folks and anybody that wants to come. And, you know, if somebody wants to ask, man, ask me, what do you think? What do you think about this, Pastor? I've had people say, well, I didn't want to ask you because I knew what you'd say. Well, hello? What in the world? What do you mean you knew what I would say? Well, I didn't want, uh, you know. We have to be taught. And then it has, says how he gave himself, that's back. He gave himself. That's an important word, the word there in the Greek, that he gave himself for us. And the reason why I say that is I remember reading a story about a dignitary, I don't remember if it was the president or vice president, it was in one of our veterans hospitals and going through and, and made the mistake of saying to the wrong soldier, well, I see you lost your arms and I'm sorry that you lost your arms or your hands or whatever it was, eyes. The soldier said, sir, I was honored to give my eyes. Whoa, you talk about. Let me tell you something. Jesus did not lose his life. He gave his life. Why? So that I could live in this world, in this ungodly world, as a child of God. I could live a godly life. I could have peace and joy and the presence of Almighty. That's why he did it. So that in the midst of the storm, I could have something that would calm me down in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the overwhelming, in the midst of the anxiety. I could get on my knees and say, Lord, I need a special touch. One of these days, I know you're coming again. I need you to touch my mind, get a hold of my heart. I'm overwhelmed. I need your presence. And he gave himself so that that I could have that so that I could be renewed in the spirit of my mind. And then it says, looking for, and I put two verses, Matthew the 6th chapter and the 20th verse and Colossians 3, 2, and some of you probably remember Matthew 6, 20 and 21, goes like this. But lay not up, not up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to that. Sometimes whenever I find myself getting stressed and overwhelmed, it's an indicator, light, <laughs> of where my treasure is. Where am I focusing? Well, I'm focusing on the now. I'm focusing right now. This, I, I didn't think I would be here. I didn't think I would go through this. I didn't think I would be in this present state. I didn't think I would be in this present way. Where's my focus should be? Looking forward, remembering what God has done because it gives me the strength for right now. <clears throat> Colossians says, set your affections where? On things above and not on things of the earth. <clears throat> it's eight o'clock, Lord have mercy. And I know we're living in a, in a, <clears throat> in a culture that says, excuse me, live for the moment. If it feels good, do it. I don't know if you've ever been to, <clears throat> out of the country to one of the <clears throat> countries of the former British Empire, whether it's the UK or India or Japan, Australia, Thailand, Singapore. But as you go down many of the main streets, they have something funny painted right there on the street as you get ready to step off the curb. You know what it says? What? It says, look right. You know why? Because Americans come and we're used to doing what? We look left, then we look right, and then we look left again. And we step out in the street. And the cars there come from the, there you have to look right, then left, then back right. And so they have big letter pointed, look right, look right, look right. Why? Because anybody would tell you, you're gonna cross the street, all you gotta do is punch the button and just walk. You don't even have to look. We're gonna be visiting you in the hospital. <laughs> Where you look becomes an important part of stepping out, huh? And so our perspective, and I know, I, I was gonna talk about looking out for number one and I've got more slides and this is not the only perspective. I don't know, I may continue Sunday or whatever. It's eight o'clock and I, I'm, but this first one is very important to change our perspective in the world. You have to be willing and you say, well, does that mean that I just focus on the future? No, I have to also remember what God has done and then I've got to figure out what I'm doing. I, want, I don't want to step in a pothole. I don't want to just look right or left and then right. 
and step out and, you know, step out in a mud puddle. But you've got to be willing to focus on all of those. Why? Because we have a world in which <clears throat> the perspective is all right now. What's right now? You know? <clears throat> you don't have to plan for the future. You don't have to think about the future. You don't have to think about the past. It's just what do I feel like doing right now? And unfortunately, that has permeated our society. Well, let me tell you something. What Paul was trying to teach him is, guess what? There's a glorious day coming. What I'm doing today is because one of these days, I'm going to walk down a street of gold. I'm not, I'm not trying to do this to impress you or you or you or anybody. I'm doing this because I'm getting practice in for going to heaven. I'm sh I want to shake the Lord's hand. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful. And I want to tell you something. The only reason I can do it, you want to talk about my humanity? The only reason I'm able to do anything is because of what he did for me on Calvary. And if you want to, you want to say, well, why? You know, well, pastor, you, so how, what does that do to me? It makes me, I don't want to, after what he shed his blood, you're going to tell me I'm going to be caught up in the, let myself become addicted, let myself become bound, let myself, and he paid the price to set me free? Lord, you didn't ask me to you died so that I don't have to be live like that. You broke the back of shame. You broke the back of fear. You broke the back of, of you know, being made fun of. They mocked him. They spit on him. They did. Why? So that, guess what? I can live in victory. So that I can say, thank you, Jesus. So that I can say, Lord, thank you for what you did. I'm not going to let the devil beat me up today because I remember what you did on Calvary. You took the sting out of death. The very scariest thing is death. Nobody, you know, why does the universe exist? It exists so that I can be a light right now to those around me. Guess what? If you want to have a different mindset, if you want to have a different perspective on the world, I'm here to tell you, get a good look of what the Lord did for you in the past and where you're heading in the future and it's going to change the way you're living right now and the way you're feeling right now. So there's where we are. We're going to change our perspective. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Glory. Oh, Lord, I love you. I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for your presence and your spirit. I know so many times I have needed to have my mind washed with your word and your presence. And I have to change my perspective. I have to get my eyes off of what I'm going through today. I know today is the day of salvation, but Lord, I have to remember that one of these days you're coming back. 
One of these days you're going to take us out of here. And I have to look back on what you did on Calvary. Because it reminds me, Lord, that you have already conquered death, fear, hell, grave, anxiety, stress. Oh, you say, but you don't know what I'm going through now. No, but I want to tell you there's nothing I'm going through, Lord, that you didn't conquer on Calvary. When you looked at your disciples and said, let this cup pass from me, you were drinking all the pain, the anxiety, the fear, the frustration. <laughs> what are you saying? What an hour to remember what he did, to look forward to where we're going and to say, I want to live right now, godly, and in this present world. I couldn't do it without that. Bless us, Lord. Give us strength. Change our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shake hands with somebody. Hallelujah.